Hi, Journey. How y'all doing? Staying warm? Trying anyway? Way to go, Bozeman Hawks. Yeah. And way to go, Bobcats. Yeah. What a couple of absolutely fantastic seasons. State champions, Big Sky champions. The new football capital of Montana is right here. It's in Bozeman. Yeah. And uh, we're proud of that. The good kind, of course. Right? The good kind of proud. I want you to know I'm choosing to redirect uh, this weekend's message because of some concerns I have uh, with the issue of gossip across our community, both Journey and the wider Gallatin Valley community. We talked in our weekend worship experience a few weeks back about a member of the Journey Church family, Jim Evans, who is the accused Bozeman High School track coach. Lots and lots and lots of you took the admonition very much to heart about being very, very careful about the things you say about Jim, the things you say about the girls who were involved, the things you say about the circumstances in general, and to you I say, way to go. Good job. Lots of you took that very, very seriously. I'm really proud of you for that. And in the midst of a whole bunch of people doing a great job of not talking about it and not gossiping about it, I still hear it. I still hear the swirling gossip. And honestly, folks, we must halt it in its tracks. We must halt it in its tracks. And really, it's hard to do, isn't it? Because we live in a culture that's inundated, absolutely inundated with other people's dirty laundry. There's all sorts of stuff flying around. There's gossip and slander in our workplaces. There's gossip and slander in our schools. There is gossip and slander even inside the four walls of our homes. And we do it, don't we? We do it. We say it. We spread hearsay. We spread rumors. And we feed the rumor mill as it churns out what really is toxic poison. And when, even when we listen to it, we're advancing the backbiting and the slandering, aren't we? And the gossip monster is a very real challenge. And the gossip monster causes very real damage. Lots of you have felt it. Lots of you know it. There was once a young man in Scotland who gossiped about and slandered another young man from his same community. This one young man who gossiped told a horrible story about the other young man, and it was filled with many, many salacious details, the result of which was the rumor mill spread until the other man's reputation was absolutely destroyed. And then one day, the gossiping young man realized that he had passed on, and he had passed on, and he had passed on a story that was completely untrue, not a single shred of truth to it whatsoever. He was filled, of course, with crushing guilt, and the gossip then went and visited his pastor, searching for absolution from his dreaded act. The pastor said, well, first of all, you got to tell me what you said. What did you say about the other young man? And the gossip told his pastor, and he asked very quickly, now, uh, may I be forgiven? Uh-uh, his pastor said, not that quickly. Here's what you got to do. I want you to take a whole bag of feathers, and I want you to go house to house to house all throughout our town and on the outskirts of our town. And I want you to put just one single feather in the front yard of every single home inside and outside of town. Now, like you're thinking right now, the gossip thought this was a very unusual instruction from his pastor. But wanting to be absolved for his sins, he obeyed. And out he went. All across the town, around the outskirts of the town, putting a single feather in every single front yard, in every single house in and out of town. It was a very, very long day, as you would imagine. He walked the whole course of the community. He came back at the end of that long day and said to the pastor, now nah, I did it. Now may I be forgiven. The pastor said, uh-uh, uh, not yet. Now I want you to take that same bag and I want you to go back 
and I want you to pick up every last one of those feathers. And the gossip said, well, pastor, that's absurd. I can't do that. The wind has long since carried them away. And he's right, isn't he? With our gossip and with our slander, that is precisely what happens. And what flies away on the winds of gossip and rumor and slander are the reputations and the lives and the integrity of those who we gossip and slander and spread rumors about. And listen to the gossip and slander and rumors about. And so for us, the question really becomes, how are you using your words? How are you using your words? Sure, the story of the feathers likely causes no end of guilt inside of us as we think of all the people in our world who our words have assassinated. But bigger than just gossip and slander and rumor and such, how are we using our words in general? You know well that the Bible has much to say about our words. Let's just start with a couple of sample texts about gossip, for instance. Proverbs 16, 28 says this, A troublemaker plants seeds of strife, and gossip separates the best of friends. And how many of us have had that precise experience? Gossip separating what had been a terrific, beautiful friendship. Proverbs 26, 20, Fire goes out without wood, and quarrels disappear when gossip stops. We know it, don't we? Gossip is the fuel that maintains quarrels. It means really that the person who gossips and slanders is actually prolonging and continuing wounds that need to be closed, that need to be healed. Gossip, see, is a communicable disease that is always paying it forward in the very worst way possible. It's a gross epidemic, isn't it? It disfigures, it kills, it maims its victims and only hinders forgiveness and restoration. In the absence of gossip and slander, old hurts, they're able to be set aside. Discord can die a natural death. And we hear those verses and we read those verses and sure, we know that, but we so often find a juicy tidbit of defamation absolutely irresistible, don't we? We find it absolutely irresistible. Uh, Think about why we do things like this, for example. Julie, Eunice, and I are so glad you could join our prayer group. Lord knows we need prayer now more than ever. Amen, sister. Barbara and I just love to lift the needs of others up in prayer. Well, I appreciate your invitation. Well, enough of this chitter-chatter. we got to get this show on the road. Now, I don't know if you've heard, but the Hendersons are in real need of prayer. Tom Henderson lost his job. Did you see Tom Jr.'s haircut the other day? (laughs) It looked like a porcupine on Red Bull. I hear Tom Sr. spends all day on the computer looking at the internet, watching videos on the YouTube. That's probably why he got fired. Oh, no, no, no. His boss caught him on the surveillance camera playing Texas Hold'em. Hold them accountable, I say. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing for housewives like us to have hobbies, but he is a man of the church. He has a family. He should know better. Mm-hmm. No, I would like to lift up Verna Carlson. Oh, she has not been feeling very well. What's wrong with her? Well, I heard it was her weight, five pounds in one week. More like 15. Someone needs to tell her that eating ice cream will not save her demonic children. Oh, don't we know it. That little Jeffrey almost ruined the service the other day, singing at the top of his lungs for all the world to hear. So wrong. Mm. 
I have a prayer request. Um, the Whitmans are going back to Peru for a month to build houses. Oh, they worked so hard over there in that poor country. That's a good prayer request. They're such a nice couple. And her apple pie was the hit of the bake sale. Oh, yeah, but what about that V-neck sweater? I mean, if it had been any lower, well, I, I just didn't think that it was becoming. I noticed that, too. I didn't want to say anything. And let's not forget the dress that she wore last Easter. I noticed that, too. I didn't want to say anything. Um, I have another prayer request um, for us because um, we're just sitting here gossiping. And I was thinking that, you know, we shouldn't be tearing down our brothers and sisters. We should be edifying them and lifting them up. So, we should probably pray for ourselves. Well, I guess you're right. We should know better. Yes, we should. No, I do it too. I mean, last week at the picnic, I told everybody that Betty's son was going to jail. and. I found out he's going to Yale. <laughs> well, wow. I don't know what happened to us. You know who's really bad at gossip? Who? Hits a little close to home, doesn't it? But really, why, why do we do that? And things like that, and things Worse than that around gossip and slander and backbiting. What is it about murdering someone with our tongues that's so appealing? There Really, there must be some short-term payoff or we wouldn't be doing it, right? But what is the short-term payoff that we're after when we slaughter and annihilate people with our tongues? And are we truly weighing the long-term consequences against the short-term payoff. One hypothesis I have about why we do things like that video so aptly illustrated is that we all deeply enjoy what I like to call social power. We all deeply enjoy social power as we spread gossip and slander about other people and other persons and such. Let me walk this out for you. Uh, I believe that as we're living life, we're all walking along wondering subconsciously, this sort of lays beneath the waterline of our lives, as our friends Peter and Susan like to talk about, below the waterline. This isn't at the tip of our minds. We wonder if our life has real meaning and value, don't we? We wonder where our sense of self-worth comes from. And if we're not dialed into the self-worth and the significance and the meaning that Jesus Christ brings our life, who is, by the way, the only source for meaning and purpose and significance in life, if we're not dialed in on that, then that sets us on a hungry search to actually fill the hole in our soul. On this quest for meaning and purpose, we then stumble into these bits of salacious data about someone else. And those bits of salacious data about other people, they make us feel better about ourselves, don't they? We think to ourselves, at least I haven't done that. And for a few fleeting moments, we no longer have to worry about where our sense of self-worth is coming from because now we hold social power over others with this juicy bit of data. And you see that data elevates us to a place of standing, a place of social power over others who lack this piece of data. We then very strategically hold that juicy bit of data for the first right opportunity when we can lay it on the table 
in front of another or perhaps even many others and reveal what they don't know that I do know, which then paints me as being more socially powerful than they are. It temporarily boosts my flagging sense of self-worth. And if you were to sort of pause the story right there, it's that right there that is the short-term payoff of gossip, isn't it? It's the temporary boost of our flagging self-worth that is the why of so many people love to spread gossip and rumor and slander. We feel better about ourselves for a very short time, but then after we've spread that piece of data, I no longer hold any cards. I no longer hold any social power over anyone else because I've spent mine. I've spent that bit of data, which means that if I ever hope to retain my standing, I must dredge up another data nugget about someone else so that I can play that out over and over and over again so that I can feel better about myself than I do when I have nothing to say about anyone else and must just sit in the reality of who I am and how miserable my life is because I feel I lack meaning and purpose and significance in life, stuff that can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's that sick cycle that plays itself out over and over and over again all around the world every single day to the detriment of the people who spread the gossip and the people who bear the brunt of those words that are carelessly flown. And here's what I know. The gossip and slander and rumor junkies of the world, they're never, ever satisfied, are they? Truth is, backbiting is an insatiable appetite. You cannot ever satisfy it. It never stops. You're never full. It becomes a way of life. You didn't mean for it to happen that way, but the next thing you know, you're a gossip glutton. You're hooked, addicted. You can't put it down. Gossip junkies, they're just like drug addicts. They're always looking for their next fix. It becomes their consuming drive. Nothing else in life really matters. And for the gossip junkie, the question really becomes, is it really worth it to use my words to wound people? Is it really worth it? This past week, I sat in on one of the most tragic meetings I have ever been in over the course of almost 20 years of pastoring people. The details of the meeting, they don't matter, but suffice it to say that these two people who I sat across the table from, they had sunk their teeth so deeply into something that they thought was going to satisfy them, fill them up, bring them the life that they had always wanted, but instead, it was like they had taken a huge swallow of poison and were left now flailing simply trying to figure out how to survive and navigate the tragedy that they had brought upon themselves and so many others. And at one particularly poignant place in the midst of a few-hour meeting, I asked the question, was it worth it? Was it worth it? Was the one or three or maybe even five minutes of temporary fleeting pleasure you experienced on the way to this tragedy worth the price that you're paying now and the price that you're going to continue to pay for the rest of your lives here on the planet? Was it worth it? And you know something? They, did, they didn't even answer the question, which was an answer in and of itself, wasn't it? And for the gossiper, for the slanderer, the backbiter, the question is the precise same. Is it worth it? And the answer is the same. Not a chance. No way. Sure, you might feel better about yourself for a little bit, but not long enough. Sure, you might feel some sense of one-upmanship for a little bit, but not long enough. Sure, you might feel that rush of social power for a little bit, but not long enough. I mean, really, how do you expect the vicious, sinful act of putting others down to grant you the same level of significance and meaning in life that Jesus himself gives? It is not even close. They do not even 
compare. Trying to carve your significance and meaning in life out of putting others down through gossip and slander and backbiting, it's like trying to survive on a diet of cotton candy. Sure, it tastes really good, doesn't it? Sure, it makes you feel full inside for a little bit, but the long-term nutritional value of cotton candy and cotton candy alone is nil. It will rot you later, just like gossip, just like slander, just like backbiting will. And lots of us ask the question, don't we, don't we uh, where, where and what is the gossip line? Like, what is gossip? How do I know if I'm gossiping or not? I ran across Rick Warren's definition of what gossip is and isn't, and it's about the best I've found. He said it this way, when we're talking about a situation with somebody who is neither part of the problem nor part of the solution, then we're probably gossiping. When we're talking about a situation with someone who is neither part of the problem nor the solution, that's probably gossip. Great definition. And intent is so important when we talk about gossip, isn't it? Are you saying what you're saying to bring harm to someone? Or are you saying what you're saying to bring help to someone? What's the motivation behind the things that you share? And our words, they can land us in a whole heap of trouble, can't they? I told you some weeks back about uh, my little outburst of shouting out the window at our new neighbors. Do you remember this story? I opened up the window and I blurted out, shut up, across the backyard into the backyard of our neighbors. It's not a proud moment for me, especially when I turned around and there was my wife, lovely Dana, standing there and she said, nice going, pastor. (laughs) Right? I told you it would happen. Guess who strolled into Guest Central a couple of weeks back, right after one of our weekend experiences like this, those neighbors that I yelled shut up across the fence to, there they were. I didn't know they were my neighbors when I turned around and there was a man standing before me with a grin ear to ear, extending his hand saying, howdy, neighbor. I melted. All I could do was jump into his arms and say, hold me, please. (laughs) I didn't really. Sometimes the things we say, they get us into trouble, don't they? Just think about words. Statistics say that we speak about one-fifth of our entire lives. We spend about one-fifth of our lives speaking a little more if you happen to be a preacher. The average person has over 30 conversations a day. That many words will fill 66 books at 800 pages a book every single year. That is a crazy amount of words, which means there are lots of opportunities to blow it with our words, aren't there? Biblical author James illustrates the power of our words as he talks about the tongue more than any other writer in the entire New Testament. Check out what he says, James chapter 3, starting in verse 2. We're going to read all the way down through verse 12. Quite a text. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. 
Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Talk about a powerful text on our words and our tongue. James says, look, our tongue is so significant because it actually steers our lives. It's actually the part of us that reveals deep internal things that are happening at the core of our being, beneath the waterline of what anyone ever sees. And honestly, if you want to know where your life is headed in the next 5, 10, 15, even 20 years, just listen closely to the words that you're saying. If you want to know the direction, the course that your life is moving in, just listen to your conversations. Examine carefully the words that are coming out of your mouth. While it's absolutely true that our heart shapes our words, it's also true that our words shape us. And if our words are salted with gossip and slander now, really, that's the course of the next season of our lives unless we put a halt to that stuff now. Our heart shapes our words and then our words shape the direction of our lives. James goes on to give us a couple of examples about how the tongue directs our lives. He says it's like a horse. And we all sit here and we know what horses are, these powerful, amazing, magnificent, muscular, two to three thousand pound animals. And yet you put this bit in a horse's mouth, which is a relatively small piece of metal. You put a 90 pound jockey on the back of a two or three thousand pound animal, and that horse goes wherever the jockey wants it to go. And that is exactly what the tongue is like. This little itty-bitty muscle that has a huge impact on our lives and the lives of so many other people. And you know this well, that your tongue can make you or your tongue can break you. Our tongue can open doors for us into the future or it can slam doors in your face. Your tongue can help other people or it can tear other people to shreds. They're wide open, aren't they? Our tongues are wide open. And the question becomes, how are you using your tongue? How are you using your tongue? Are you using it for good? Or are you using it for gossip, slander, backbiting, maligning others? And So how are you using your tongue? Because really the answer to that question will determine the direction of your life. James gives another example of the power of our tongue. He says, think about a ship, a massive ocean liner. And ships are steered by a relatively small rudder that exists beneath the water line. And that rudder steers the ship into the winds and the waves of the wide open seas. And the same is true for our tongue. It literally directs our lives. James says our tongue pierces others. It's a tremendous force for good or for evil. And the choice is left to us. How will we use our tongue? In the same way, he writes, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire, and the tongue is a flame of fire, just in case anyone's wondering. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. And you read that and that's about as candid and uncensored and straight up no holds barred truth about the tongue as you will ever hear. And it rings true for us, doesn't it? We hear that and it rings true for us. It sounds really harsh, but it resonates with us because we know that our tongue can be a restless evil. We know our tongue can be a deadly poison. We know our tongue can destroy lives. 
And we live out west, right? Which means that we know well all about the fire deal. We look around us where we get to live and we see mountains filled with trees and greenery, absolutely gorgeous, stunning. And we all know that all of that beauty can go up in smoke with just a single errant spark. It happens, doesn't it? The same is true with our tongue. We make a single statement. We make a single comment. We send off one email, and all of a sudden, stuff gets way, way, way out of control. And James points out, the tongue reveals our heart. The tongue reveals our heart. Every single word that we say points to something deeper that's going on inside of us. Sometimes, he says, it praises our Lord and Father speaking of our tongue. Sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. And we hear that and ouch, right? Ouch. Because that is right where we're living. We do that very thing. We come in here and we sing songs on the weekend and we praise our Lord and our Father. God, you are good, we say. We love you. We are so grateful for who you are and what you've done. God, you are amazing. And then we walk right out those doors and we get in our car and we drive out of the parking lot or start to drive out of the parking lot and we go, you cut me off. Right? We all do it. We all do it. We do it in our houses, don't we? We do it across the dinner table as we gossip and slander people from work and school and neighbors. And James says, this should not be brothers and sisters. And I want you to know that as I stand before you today that I do not have this dialed in, not even close. I wrestle with this. I struggle every single moment of every single day with how I use my tongue. And I'm in the process of putting together a toolkit that's helpful for me as I try to rein my tongue in, and perhaps this will be helpful for you, just some real practical things. First one is this. When you find yourself gossiping and slandering and backbiting, take a good hard look at what's happening beneath your words, what's going on underneath the waterline, stuff you can't even see. Step back. Take an honest appraisal of your life and words and say, what in the world is the insecurity in my life that's causing me to feel like I have to run everyone else into the ground so that I feel just a little bit good about me? What is it? Why do I constantly feel the need to show off and flaunt my social power through gossip and juicy nuggets of slanderous data about other people? What in the world is so broken inside of me, so empty inside of me, that I'm attempting to fill in and repair with lies and gossip and slander all about other people. What is it? What is it, what is it that's so broken? And really, maybe for a whole bunch of us, it might be as simple as coming to the realization that God loves you just like you are now. God loves you just like you are now. And you do not have to make yourself look better than anyone else so that God will love you more. God loves you right now, just the way you are. 
The second thing that can be helpful is something we often overlook. How often do we ask God for help in reining our tongue in? How often do we ask God for help reining our tongue in? Ask God for help stopping the gossip and the slander and the backbiting and helping you stop listening to the gossip and slander and backbiting. I promise you, in your own power, your own strength, you won't be able to do it. It's only with God's power and God's strength that you'll ever be able to tame your tongue. You could pray what King David prayed, Psalm 141, verses 3 and 4. You might write that reference down, Psalm 141, verses 3 and 4. Here's what it says. What a great prayer. Take control of what I say, O Lord. Take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my lips. Don't let me drift toward evil or take part in acts of wickedness. Don't let me share in the delicacies of those who do wrong. And what if every day when our feet hit the floor in the morning, we prayed that prayer? Take control of what I say, O Lord. Guard my lips, please. Do not let me drift toward evil or take part in acts of wickedness. Don't let me share in the delicacies of those who do wrong. And just imagine what God could do in our lives if we asked him for help at that level. And then there's this sort of next set of suggestions. It's in the vein of Psalm 141 of not drifting toward evil or taking part in acts of wickedness. It's in the vein of not sharing in the delicacies of those who do wrong. It's learn how to throw a flag, a gracious flag, when you're in a conversation where gossip or slander or backbiting is happening. You can do this without being a jerk, right? You can do this without seeming spiritually arrogant, but learn how to graciously throw a flag when you're in a conversation where gossip or slander or backbiting is happening. Here's some helpful prompts that'll help you do that. Ask the question when somebody is gossiping about someone else, ask them the question, can I quote you on that? Can I quote you on that? That comes from Chuck Swindoll, and he says, look, this is a powerful tool to halt gossip in its tracks. Because you see, gossip and slander, people who spread it will balk every single time at being quoted, won't they? Because gossips want to do what they do in the dark, and when you invite the light of the truth in to illuminate what it is they're doing, they're going to scatter like cockroaches every single time. Can I quote you on that? The second thing you can do to halt gossip in its tracks is offer, you know, say someone is saying something to you about someone else, you just interrupt them, politely interrupt them and say, you know what I like most about that person? And you just seed that in. You know what I like most about that person? That comes from Beth Moore. She suggests it's another incredibly powerful method to halt gossip in its tracks. Because you see, when you do that, you're sending a very strong signal that you're entirely uninterested in tearing people down. If you want to have a little fun and mess with the person who's trying to seed gossip and slander and backbiting in with you, on the heels of your positive statement about that person, ask them, what's your favorite thing about that person? What's your favorite thing about that person? And the final thing you can do to halt gossip in its tracks is ask, have you talked to that person about what it is that you're saying right now? That's right out of Matthew chapter 18, isn't it? It is our first step in resolving conflict and sin is to actually go have a conversation with the person, not gossip and slander and backbite two others about them behind their back. There's a lot about gossip and slander, but I want to leave you with a positive story today about the power of our words in general. This story comes from leadership and management guru, a guy named Ken Blanchard and his partner, Barbara Glanz, and it comes via video, so would you watch this? 
know, Journey, there are a lot of people on the organizational chart of that grocery store, lots and lots of them with bigger titles and lots of them with seemingly more important roles, but the truth is the most important person in that store is Johnny the Bagger. Why? It's because he knows the power of the tongue, and it's also because he's choosing to speak words of life with his tongue, and he realizes something, that words can change a culture. Words of life can change and transform a community. And Journey Church, we are a group, a community of people who are saying, look, we're not going to gossip. We're not going to share hearsay. We're not going to slander. We're not going to engage in this deadly poison that can destroy lives and family and people and even churches for that matter. We're not going to spread the stories. We're not going to hear them. We're not going to pass them on. We're going to put a stop to them, a gracious stop to them because we're going to be people who share words of life like Johnny the Bagger did. 
And what's true is our world is so starving for encouragement that people are willing to line up at a grocery store all the way back to the frozen food aisle just to hear some. And think about for a moment just how beautiful that is and also how tragic it is that they'll go to a grocery store every single day just so they can get a single word of encouragement. And would you take that and would you think on for just a moment about what kind of influence for Jesus Christ we could be in our valley if all of us said, we're going to use the power of our tongue for good. We're going to use the power of our tongue for good, not for evil. We're going to use the power of our tongue for good. Will you do it, Journey? Will you do it? Take your stuff and set it aside, if you would, and I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads and just get quiet and still with God, please. While you're praying, maybe there's some of you who recognize today that you've been using your tongue for evil. Not good. And if that's you, I just invite you to square that up with God. Reconcile that with him. Confess that to him if you need to. I just invite you to make some decisions with him for how you're going to move ahead differently than you have been. Perhaps for you, it's issues around identity and where you're finding your identity. Maybe for too long now, you've been trying to find it by powering up socially, by playing nuggets of salacious data about other people sort of flaunting them out there. I know this and you don't, and it makes you feel good for a bit. But it's poison. It's toxic. And God's inviting you today just to put it down. God's inviting you today to a new decision, to use your tongue for good. To use your tongue for good. And then maybe there's those of you here today while you're still praying who don't yet know personally the God who loves you so much that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, for you on the cross so that you could live in right relationship with him for eternity starting right here, right now. And if that's you today, what's keeping you from inviting Jesus to be your Savior and Lord right here, right now? What's holding you back? What's stopping you. If that's you, if the desire of your heart is to know him and follow him and live with him for the rest of your days, I just invite you to tell him as much in a prayer that goes something like this, God, I love you. And God, I thank you. And God, I want a relationship with you. Please come into my life. By Jesus' death on the cross, for me, I ask that you would please forgive me. And because of what you did, because of Jesus' death on the cross, I'm repenting right now. I'm turning from my sins right now. I'm turning from my own path right now, and I'm 
walking your way from here on out, God. Starting with and including how I use my tongue. For good, not for evil, for good, God. My tongue, my life is yours. And if that's your prayer today, would you just real boldly just lift your hands right where you are and just lock eyes with me. Just do it now and say, yep, I'm praying that right, yeah, way to go back there. I see you. And right here, way to go. Way to go, I see you. And right, yep, way to go. And right there, yeah. I agree with you. I agree with you. Yes. 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 I'm standing with all of you, saying yes. Agreeing with you and what God's doing in your heart and how it's going to be different from here on out. And God, we just say thank you. We realize the power of the tongue. And God, we want to be people, we want to be a community who leverage our tongue for good, not for evil. And we need your help and your strength and your courage to do that, God. I pray that we would be people who just press in with you, with our tongues. That we ask you to reign over it. That we don't just try to go it alone, but we cling to the power of your Holy Spirit. The Bible says, no one can tame the tongue which means, God, that it's in your realm. And so we offer our lives, our tongues, our whole beings up to you and ask that they would be pleasing and glorifying and honoring to you.